0: The book of Joel, shall we? Maybe, perhaps. We should get into Joel now. Uh, I hope by now that you heard the lesson on Hosea. If you weren't here last week, that you went online and listened, podcasts are always available. Laurie Lee is amazing, and one of the things she does is get that up every week uh, by, really, Monday morning. It's up there for you. But I hope that you heard that lesson. While that was going on in the north, in Israel, in the south, in Judah, Joel when about his work? Once again, in the southern kingdom, there were two tribes in the southern kingdom. They, uh, they were doing great. Things were going very well. And as it usually happens when things are going very, very well, people forgot about God. Just like the northern kingdom, Judah was prosperous. They, they, together, they'd expanded their borders back to where they were during the time of David and Solomon, which is amazing frankly, that they were able to do that. They had a, a king named Aziah, and he was doing a great job. He really was. He was governing the people wisely. He's making sure they were safe. He'd gain control over Edom, which was a continual problem in the Old Testament. He'd shoved the Philistines back. Again, a continual problem in the Old Testament. He seized the caravan routes, and so now they had a system of trade that was safe. Would not happen again for a very long time, but for right then... The people of Judah were safe, secure, making money and having all the food that they'd need to eat and enough for export. But he wasn't just a great king and a war fighter. He was also an engineer. He was one of the first in antiquity to design anti-siege engines. And I could get real geeky on this historical bet here on military history. Let's just put it this way. When all the weapons you have is a bunch of people to storm something, the way to overthrow something is to have a, so much people you overwhelm. The people being sieged needed a way to fight back. And so they would build different engines, they called them, maybe towers or the like, catapults to protect themselves. Isaiah was one of the first. And it's mentioned not in Joel, but in Second Chronicles chapter 26. Isaiah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, at the angle of the wall, and he fortified them. In Jerusalem, he made devices, invented for use on the towers and on the corner defenses so that soldiers could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the walls. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. Did you catch that bit? It's a problem. If you read that chapter in Chronicles, you'll find that he reorganized the army. He was a brilliant organizer, brilliant engineer, brilliant king, but he couldn't stay in his area. One of the problems with being an expert at something is you begin to think you're an expert at something else too and that you know how to do something else too. And the king was governing so well, he didn't stay in his area. Governments have problems with that. And churches have problems with that, with allowing governments to do that. Take a look at our world. Churches gave to the government the job of charity. How's that going? We gave to the the government the, uh, the job of defining and licensing marriage. How's that going? That's our job. We're the church. We don't hand that over to anybody. But the king decided he needed to make religion run better too so he entered in the temple and started showing them how to offer the incense and god did not appreciate that a bit he had moved too much into the wrong realms church we are church and then i we need to have just a little word here and this is when shepherds start to sweat Some of you know that I've been studying the subject of homosexuality and the like for a long time. Still studying it. Why does it take so long? Because I have the only job God ever wrote the job description and included a warning to. Let not many of you be teachers. For you will receive the greater condemnation. So I need to be very careful on this. But I want you to set that right here because that has nothing to do with the situation we've been handed this week when we're told that we're going to redefine everything. You need to know something. What the government does, the government does. We understand that. Paul was mistreated by his government, but try to find him writing against it. He, just, he didn't. Try to find him leading protest or armed struggles. He didn't. He stayed within his area and said, no matter what the government does, I do this. This is who we are. So don't panic. If you believe the world is getting darker, shine brighter. That's it. We're not fearful people. We don't say, oh, the world's over. Nations rise and nations fall all the time. God's still God. Isaiah forgot this, and he stepped out of his realm into religion. That makes Joel a very modern book. In Second Chronicles 26 is where that happened, by the way. Only priests were allowed to do what he had stepped up to do, and God struck him with leprosy. To give him credit, and you really need to, Isaiah Uzzi- immediately realized what he had done. While he never recovered from his leprosy, he never did that again. He had to withdraw to a house, and he became co-king with his son, Jotham. And so they both ruled as king. Isaiah kept his hand in the whole time, but he was sequestered in that house the rest of his life. But back to the reason for the book of Joel. It seems that Isaiah ignoring God's rules and stepping into the church realm or the temple realm, the, the religious realm, was the last straw for God. The people were going to church. People were happy to go to church just like we are today, and what a wonderful church we get. To go to here what an amazing place and mark does a fantastic job of setting up worship for us and leading us into the throne room uh, we have so many people that can lead us to the table so many wonderful people here. what a great thing but you need to know something they were going to church too and they were offering their sacrifices too they're having a great time but they never really acknowledged god they just did this because that's what they did just like up north in Israel, God found himself as a rejected lover, the ignored suitor. So, God decided to wake him up. He sent a plague of locusts against them just to show him you cannot find security in your prosperity. Can we remember this, church? I want you to please, no matter what politicians tell you during this election cycle, which the election cycles in America go forever, they do. In Britain, at least, they don't. You know, the guy announces, we're going to have an election next month. And that's the way it happens. But here, they go forever. And you're going to get people promised, we're going to fix all of this by law, people. God doesn't rule from Washington or London or any of those places. He rules from heaven. Laws won't fix the human heart. We have to do that one-on-one by introducing people to Jesus. And we'd love somebody else to do our job for us, but it's not going to work that way. Never has. We cannot rely on our safety and security and prosperity and laws made somewhere. No. We um, we live for Jesus. Well what happens if you lose your job? You live for Jesus. What happens if the government comes against us? You live for Jesus. What happens if you live for Jesus until you die? Whatever they kill us, we die but then we go live with Jesus. So we don't panic ever, even when we're confused, even when we're struggling. But here's what happened. When the locusts came, it created a famine, and now they didn't have enough stuff to use for the sacrifices, and that's what upset them. Now you might be thinking, wait, they were upset because they couldn't sacrifice stuff? Yes, because sacrifices were the community glue and without community they don't survive and neither do you as much as we some of you are very communitarian people you really are you just you love community you will make you will go in to buy stamps and make friends sometimes i know because people like that are in front of me and behind me (laughs) and I realize somewhere I'm giving off a signal, this man's lonely. Share everything. We could easily skip over this idea of community, but don't, because that's what Joel's about. Community is life and death to the people of God. If we do not stick together, we die. The hottest coal on the planet The hottest piece of lava, molten rock on the planet goes cold and dark if it's separated from the rest. Snowflakes piled together stop bulldozers on their own or nothing. Community is how we survive. That's why we gather. That's why it's so important to gather, to come together, to be with each other. Once upon a time, we understood this a lot better. We all read the same books there weren't that many. We watched the same two or three television channels. I know, back in the old days, it was horrible. On the ark, they didn't get cable. You only had two or three television shows, so everybody knew you were watching this on that night, because that's what people watched. You watched the nightly news, which is, this is going to be, you're going to really long for the old days yourself here. You ready for this? used to be that there weren't 24-7 news channels at all. In fact, the nightly news on most major networks would go 15 minutes. That was it. No, one of the reasons we panic and are kept in fear all the time is they've got to keep us watching out of worry and fear so they can sell stuff at the commercials. Watch out. Be informed. Don't be one of those people who say, I never pay attention to news. Well, then don't ever vote or complain. Pay attention some but we used to all watch the same thing, know the same songs. Do you remember when we had one top 40? Now there are lots. There's rhythm and blues, there's adult contemporary, there's country and western, there's, there's all, it just keeps going because we're not listening to the same stuff. We, we don't share that like we used to. We even celebrated the same holidays that we don't now we have scattered the holidays we've and the and, and our desire to be open to people who are different which is a great thing by the way and to celebrate that we're not all the same we lost our sense of community and that's the downside and that's a pretty big downside they were losing their community and without community there is no jewish nation without the sacrifices there are no there's no jewish nation they began to Ease away. How long would it take you not attending worship to not miss attending worship? Not as long as you think. First week or two might really upset you after a couple of months. You know what the worst thing that can ever happen to you is? Not sinning. That's not it. The worst thing that could ever happen to you is sinning and not dying. I'll explain Because when you do that thing you're terrified of ever doing and the next day is just another day, you lose your fear. You lose your fear. Do the thing you fear and the death of fear is certain. They were about to drift away. Joe warns us about community and reminds us that God is calling us to a community not based on race, or gender, or politics, but on the one, upon Jesus, who met that woman at the well and who saved the woman's life that had been caught in adultery. This is, by the way, a little aside, perhaps the most linguistically advanced of all the Old Testament books. It uses simile, metaphor, it uses parallel phrases, rhetorical devices, precise language use, like no other book in the Old Testament. It's a short book, but it packs a punch. We even get some songs out of chapter 3. We're not even going to look at that today, but you can look at that later if you haven't read it already. Job, Joel lets him know what God's problem with you is, is that your sacrifices and worship had been purely external. It hadn't touched the heart. It had just been done rote. You know, Ministers will often pound you for this and say, is your worship in spirit and in truth? May I confess something to you? Ministers have a problem with this too because many of you have come to worship. When ministers show up, they're also coming to work. And if they don't watch out, they're so busy working and playing air traffic control for God that they don't worship. So we have to watch ourselves too. I never want you to think, that I'm up here going after you more than I'm going after me. We're all in this together, church. We have to make sure it's not external only, but it's touching the heart. Joel lets them know that God wants them to be together, but together and be rich had made them able to give and sacrifice without sacrificing, if you know what I mean. They were able to throw money in the plate without missing it. How's that? Without going, that's going to cost me. They were giving out of their excess, so it didn't really touch them. I need to warn you of something. I don't want to frighten anybody of anything. But part of the opinions, if you read the opinions from both decisions this week, lead toward the day, and, and some people are already talking about it yesterday and today, Uh, actually in favor of stripping religious groups of their tax-exempt status. Now, you might say, well, well, why? By the way, go for it. Government can do what government can do. But what happens to contributions when they're no longer tax-deductible? Remember that taxes are not to raise funds. Taxes are to control behavior. That's what taxes do and to adjust behavior so church we need to brace ourselves and say we're going to gather even when it costs us more we're going to gather regardless of what the government does i don't think the government is our enemy even if it was i don't really care i'm not the government i'm part of the church i'm going to let the government govern i'm going to be the church and if they they're not going to time, i don't see this coming just remember Paul and Peter if they end up throwing you in prison sing and make converts while you're there think ooh they can't walk out after communion <laughs> I've got them What you're in here for 17 years plenty of time We're not afraid Joel tells them disaster is optional. They can stop it by repenting. They can stop it by being the church. God is very quick to forgive. We saw that last week, Hosea and Gomer. He wants to forgive, but he requires repentance. Remember John the Baptist? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, or you shall all likewise perish. In chapter 1, he asked them if he understands, if, if they understood what the plague of locusts meant, if they had heeded the value in the call. He uses wine as a metaphor. God had removed their joy, their wine. Isn't that significant? first miracle Jesus does is to restore the wine. Brings the joy back. But God had removed the joy, removed the wine. So what should they do? Joel chapter 1, verse 14. But Albert knows this one. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Fast and pray. That should be our first reaction. Not anger. Not let's organize this. No. Fast and pray. Listen to God. See what God's doing. Go at his speed in his direction. Don't let anybody hurry you up or slow you down except for God. Fast and pray. Why is fasting so important? Fasting teaches you how to look at something which is fine for you to have, which you need, which is perfectly acceptable to God that you have it, and still have the strength to say no. It teaches you how to say no. We... One of the first things I did when I came here to the staff is I said, You need to know this. No is a spiritual word, and it's a complete sentence. You don't have to defend it, you don't have to explain it away. You can say no. Why would I start with that? Because too many times we try to out-Christian Christ, we burn ourselves up doing church work and never get around to doing the work of the church. And those are two different things. We as a church need to back up sometimes and say no to the world. You know something? You go right ahead. Like, like uh, Peter and John said in Acts chapter 4, to the high court of the land, if it's, if it's right to you, to declare that we no longer preach in the name of Jesus, you go ahead and judge that. But we cannot but preach and teach the things we've seen and heard. We make our own decisions. We know how to say no when we need to say no. Whether it's to a marketer or to a fearmonger or to whatever it is, fast and pray. If you want to avoid the disaster, God tells them through Joel, then you need to fast and pray. You see, the people of Judah had made a terrible assumption. And more on this next week as we look at Amos. They thought, well, we're the people of God. He's got to save us. And God's saying, no, I can raise up somebody else if I have to. I can use another person. Take a look at Joel chapter 2. We're going to look at three verses scattered about in the book, in that chapter, rather. Below the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It's close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His His forces are beyond number, and mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great, it is dreadful. Who can endure it? You know, if you want to skip ahead to the back of the book, in Revelation, you find out those that accepted God's mark, not the world's mark, but God's mark, they survived it. They endured it. They survived it. They are worshiping on the last day, the great day of the Lord. Be in the group. Be in that group. Remember repentance? Even now, God says, I can turn all this back. I can change it even now. I can make it all better. In chapter two, verses twelve through fourteen, he leads them through that, calling them to repent. In chapter two, verses fifteen and sixteen, he tells the community, "Get together, fast together, pray together, be together." Now, Lauren, uh, she she asked for something big. She said she'd like to see tonight. So the community support the teens so much that there are this many bodies in here tonight at 6 o'clock. Many of you at this church have never attended a Sunday night service because we're 4th Avenue. We do our own thing. <laughs> and you form, you form we little communities elsewhere. This might be a time to say, community, let's support the teens. Let's be back. Got to brag on my wife. It is our anniversary. We had dinner plans at a very fancy restaurant. She heard about this. She said, we can do dinner another night. Let's support the teens. You saved me so much money. <laughs> I love you. I love you. I love you. You're All right. Like it or not, God works within communities. Every book in the New Testament was written to a community, not an individual except for one, Philemon. And that was written to an individual telling him to form community with his slave and no longer consider him slave but brother. Community. I'm a loner. I'm preaching to myself here. The last third of chapter 2 has God saying, I'd rather fight for you than against you wow it's your choice he says one day he tells us he's going to send a redeemer do you want to be in the group he redeems take a look at this joel chapter 2 28 through 32 and afterward i will pour out my spirit on all people your sons and daughters will prophesy your old men will dream dreams your young men will see visions Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Sound familiar? Acts chapter 2. In the inaugural sermon of the church, the first sermon gathering the community of the called out, the people of Christ, Peter quotes that. God will pour out his spirit on your men and your women, on the young men and the young women, both will prophesy. They will be engaged. They will be gathered together. A redeemer is coming. God's going to make a kingdom, he tells them, that no army can invade, and one day we won't need siege engines, we won't need armies, because God Himself is our wall, our protector, our refuge. And that's why we gather around the table, the gathering and baptism, the water. The two who were baptized, are you where are you guys? stand up would you there's one where's one's in the balcony are you standing up in the balcony I can't ever tell all right welcome sister it's great yeah welcome brother wherever you are I'm sure we'll get another chance to applaud you tonight we baptize and we rejoice you by the way we don't do invitations and people sometimes ask why Because people quit coming forward a long time ago. The culture changed. They come during the week. They come during events. They come in homes. And then we gather here. But we're going to try to find ways to actually work invitations into family prayer time too. I've got some ideas. We're going to try to do this. Because we want you to know we want to gather around your baptism too. In Acts chapter 2, two passages. Note what happens when we gather. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. When they heard about Joel and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. In the words of scripture in Proverbs chapter 3, if we can bring that up, in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. As Joel put it in Joel chapter 3 verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. We choose at this church to follow Jesus and no one else to follow Jesus and not our old traditions. There's nothing sinful about them, but if Jesus leads us away from them, we're following him. We're gonna follow Jesus wherever he takes us, and we will follow him and rely upon him, not government, not culture, not the money in our pocket, not our laws. We follow Jesus. I'm Gonna ask Mark to come up and lead us in our last song, uh, I don't I think the sermon went a bit long because we don't have much time to get to Bible class. But would you stand with me please? Make your decision this week to rely upon Jesus, to follow Jesus and fear not.